Chapter 6 of The Door Through Space. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L I B R I V O X dot O R G. Recording by Christy Nowak. The Door Through Space by Marion Zimmer Bradley. Chapter 6. Once we were free of the forest, the road to the dry towns lay straight before us, with no hidden dangers. Some of us limped for a day or two, or favored an arm or leg clawed by the catmen, but I knew that what Corral said was true. It was a lucky caravan which had to fight off only one attack. Quinn haunted me. A night or two of turning over his cryptic words in my mind had convinced me that whoever, or whatever he'd been signaling, it wasn't the catmen and his urgent question, where's the girl, swam endlessly in my brain, making no more sense than when I had first heard it. Who had he mistaken me for? What did he think I was mixed up in? And who, above all, were the others who had to be signaled at the risk of an attack by Catman, which had meant his own death? With Quinn dead, and Carol thinking I'd saved his life, a large part of the responsibility for the caravan now fell on me. And strangely, I enjoyed it, making the most of this interval when I was separated from the thought of blood feud or revenge, the need of spying, or the threat of exposure. During those days and nights on the trail, I grew back slowly into the dry towner I once had been. I knew I would be sorry when the walls of Shainsa rose on the horizon, bringing me back, inescapably, to my own quest. We swung wide, leaving the straight trail to Shainsa, and Carol announced his intention of stopping for half a day at Canarsa, one of the walled, non-human cities which lay well off the travelled road. To my inadvertent show of surprise, he returned that he had trading connections there. "'We all need a day's rest, and the silent ones will buy from me, though they have few dealings with men. Look here. I owe you something. You have lenses? You can get a better price in Canarsa than you'd get in Ardkaran or Shainsa. Come along with me, and I'll vouch for you.' Kiral had been most friendly since the night I had dug him out from under the catmen, and I knew no way to refuse without exposing myself for the sham traitor I was. But I was deathly apprehensive. Even with recall, I had never entered any of the non-human towns. On Wolf, human and non-human have lived side by side for centuries, and the human is not always the superior being. I might pass among the dry-towners and the relatively stupid humanoid chaks for another dry-towner, but Recall had cautioned me I could not pass among non-humans for native wolfen, and warned me against trying. Nevertheless, I accompanied Kiral, carrying the box which had cost about a week's pay in the Terran zone, and was worth a small fortune in the dry-towns. Canarsa seemed, inside the gates, like any other town. The houses were round, beehive fashion, and the streets totally empty. Just inside the gates, a hooded figure greeted us, and gestured us by signs to follow him. He was covered from head to foot with some coarse and shiny fiber woven into stuff that looked like sacking, but under the thick hooding was horror. It slithered, and it had nothing like a recognizable human shape or walk, and I felt the primeval ape in me cowering and gibbering in the corner of my mind. Kiral muttered close to my ear, No outsider is ever allowed to look on the silent ones in their real form. I think they're deaf and dumb, but be damn careful. You bet, I whispered, and was glad the streets were empty. I walked along, trying not to look at the gliding motion of the shrouded thing up ahead. The trading was done in an open hut of reeds, which looked as if it had been built in a hurry, and was not square, round, hexagonal, or any other recognizable geometrical shape. It formed a pattern of its own, presumably, but my human eyes couldn't see it. Kural said in a breath of a whisper, They'll tear it down and burn it after we leave. We're supposed to have contaminated it too greatly for any of the silent ones ever to enter again. My family has traded with them for centuries, and we're almost the only ones who have ever entered the city. 
Then two of the silent ones of Canarsa, also covered with that coarse, shiny stuff, slithered into the hut, and Kiral choked off his words as if he had swallowed them. It was the strangest trading I had ever done. Kiral laid out the small, forged steel tools and the coils of thin, fine wire, and I unpacked my lenses and laid them out in neat rows. The silent ones neither spoke nor moved, but through a thin piece in the grey veiling I saw a speck which might have been a phosphorescent eye moving back and forth as if scanning the things laid out for their inspection. I smothered a gasp, for suddenly blank spaces appeared in the rows of merchandise. Certain small tools, wire cutters, calipers, surgical scissors, had vanished, and all the coils of wire had disappeared. Blanks equally had appeared in the rows of lenses. All of my tiny, powerful microscope lenses had vanished. I cast a quick glance at Kiral, but he seemed unsurprised. I recalled vague rumors of the silent ones, and concluded that, eerie though it seemed, this was merely their way of doing business. Kiral pointed at one of the tools, at an exceptionally fine pair of binocular lenses, and at the last coils of wire. The shrouded ones did not move, but the lenses and the wire vanished. The small tool remained, and after a moment, Kiral dropped his hand. I took my cue from Kiral and remained motionless, awaiting whatever surprise was coming. I had halfway expected what happened next. In the blank spaces, little points of light began to glimmer, and after a moment, blue and red and green gemstones appeared there. To me, the substitution appeared roughly equitable and fair, though I am no judge of the fine points of gems. Kiral scowled slightly and pointed to one of the green gems, and after a moment it whisked away and a blue one took its place. In another spot, where a fine set of surgical instruments had lain, Kiral pointed at the blue gem which now lay there, shook his head, and held out three fingers. After a moment, a second blue stone lay winking beside the first. Kiral did not move, but inexorably held out the three fingers. There was a little swirling in the air, and then both gems vanished, and the case of surgical instruments lay in their place. Still, Kiral did not move, but held the three fingers out for a full minute. Finally, he dropped them and bent to pick up the case instruments. Again, the little swirl in the air, and the instruments vanished. In their place lay three of the blue gems. My mouth twitched in the first amusement I had felt since we entered this uncanny place. Evidently, bargaining with the silent ones was not a great deal different than bargaining with anyone, anywhere. Nevertheless, under the eyes of those shrouded but horrible forms, if they had eyes, which I doubted, I had no impulse to protest their offered prices. I gathered up the rejected lenses, repacked them neatly, and helped Kiral recreate the tools and instruments the silent ones had not wanted. I noticed that in addition to the microscope lenses and surgical instruments, they had taken all the fine wire. I couldn't imagine, and didn't particularly want to imagine, what they intended to do with it. On our way back through the streets, unshepherded this time, Kiral's tongue was loosened as if with a great release from tension. They're psychokinetics, he told me. Quite a few of the non-human races are. I guess they have to be, having no eyes and no hands. But sometimes I wonder if we of the dry towns ought to deal with them at all. What do you mean? I asked, not really listening. I was thinking mostly about the way the small objects had melted away and reappeared. The sight had stirred some uncomfortable memory, a vague sense of danger. It was not tangible enough for me to know why I feared it, but just a subliminal uneasiness that kept prodding at me, like a tooth that isn't quite aching yet. Kiral said, We of Shainsaw live between fire and flood. Terra on the one hand, and on the other maybe something worse. Who knows? We know so little about the Silent Ones and those like them. Who knows, maybe we're giving them the weapons to destroy us. He broke off with a gasp and stood staring down one of the streets. It lay open and bare between two rows of round houses, and Kiral was staring fixedly at a doorway which had opened there. I followed his paralyzed gaze and saw the girl. 
Hair like spun black glass fell in hard waves around her shoulders, and the red eyes smiled with alien malice, alien mischief, beneath the dark crown of little stars, and the toad god sprawled in hideous embroideries across the white folds of her breast. Kirol gulped hoarsely. His hand flew up as he clutched the charm strung about his neck. I imitated the gesture mechanically, watching Kirol, wondering if he would turn and run again, but he stood frozen for a minute. Then the spell broke, and he took one step toward the girl, arms outstretched. Maylin, he cried, and there was heartbreak in his voice. And again, the cry making ringing echoes in the strange street. Maylin, Maylin. This time it was the girl who whirled and fled. Her white robes fluttered, and I saw the twinkle of her flying feet as she vanished into the space between the houses and was gone. Kiral took one blind step down the street, then another, but before he could burst into a run, I had him by the arm, dragging him back to sanity. Man, you've gone mad. Chase in a non-human town? He struggled for a minute. Then, with a harsh sigh, he said, "'It's all right. I won't,' and shook loose from my arm. He did not speak again until we reached the gates of Canarsa, and they closed, silently and untouched, behind us. I had forgotten the place already. I had space only to think of the girl, whose face I had not forgotten since the moment when she saved me and disappeared. Now she had appeared again to Kural. What did it all mean?' I asked as we walked toward the camp, "'Do you know that girl?' But I knew the question was futile. Kiral's face was closed, conceding nothing, and his friendliness had vanished completely. He said, Now you know. You saved me from the catmen, and again in Canarsa, so my hands are bound from harming you. But it is evil to have dealings with those who have been touched by the toad god. He spat noisily on the ground, looking at me with loathing, and said, We will reach Shane Sa in three days. Stay away from me. End of chapter 6